American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about one of George Washington's Catholic Irish immigrant aides to camp, John Fitzgerald. Yes, it's interesting that at a time when the Catholic Mass was still outlawed in most of the 13 colonies and Catholics were largely treated as second class citizens, Washington relied heavily on at least two very Catholic men. Stephen Moylan, who is better known and whom we'll talk about in a future episode, and John Fitzgerald. So we don't know much about John Fitzgerald before he came over to America. No, there's not a whole lot of information readily available about his life in Ireland prior to his emigration. We know he was born and raised in County Wicklow, which is just south of Dublin, but we're not sure what year. And we know that he was in Alexandria, Virginia by the end of the 1760s and clearly brought enough money and education with him or was simply had enough wits about him to establish himself as a successful mercantile businessman in short order and to rise in the ranks of high society. Yes, and by the early 1770s, he was good friends with George Washington. Washington at this point was a prominent colonel who had distinguished himself in the French and Indian War and who had established himself as a planter at Mount Vernon just a few miles south of Alexandria, Virginia. So Washington and Fitzgerald would have had reasons of business to be acquainted, if nothing else. And then in 1775, the shot heard round the world was fired in Concord, Massachusetts, and the Revolutionary War broke out. Right. And Colonel Washington went to Philadelphia, where he became General Washington and was given command of the Continental Army. And John Fitzgerald, by this time, had already been commissioned an officer in the Fairfax County Independent Company. Yeah, I mean, he was Irish. Tensions were mounting with the British crown. Of course, he was preparing for a fight before anything was official. But then when the fight officially broke out, he was ready. He was commissioned a captain in the 3rd Virginia Regiment of the Continental Army. During the Battle of Harlem Heights, the major who was commanding officer of the 3rd Virginia Regiment was killed, and Fitzgerald was promoted to that post. But he didn't remain there long. A few weeks later, General Washington was in need of an aide-de-camp, and he tapped his old friend John Fitzgerald. Washington had about 32 aides-de-camp during the Revolutionary War, with at least three serving concurrently at any point. Aides-de-camp had to be men whom Washington could trust implicitly, men who would be present with him nearly all the time, who could ably copy orders and deliver them to commanders on the battlefield, and who could be trusted with the most sensitive correspondence. Any man's named an aide-de-camp was made a lieutenant colonel in the army, with the head of the staff being a full colonel. But for Washington, it wasn't only men. His wife, Martha, I think this is really cool, also accompanied George Washington during winter camps, and she acted as an unofficial aide-de-camp in a sense by writing a lot of letters for him. But it was the official ones who did the dangerous duties like currying letters. And it's no surprise Martha would fill that role at least somewhat. George himself said of what the position meant and required, quote, aides-de-camp are persons in whom entire confidence must be placed. It requires men of abilities to execute the duties with propriety and dispatch, where there is a multiplicity of business as must attend the commander-in-chief of such an army as this. And persuaded I am that nothing but the zeal of those gentlemen who live with me and 
act in this capacity for the great American cause and personal attachment to me have induced them to undergo the trouble and confinement they have experienced since they became members of my family, unquote. And so it was as a member of his family that Fitzgerald traveled with and served General Washington beginning in March of 1776. He served ably on the battlefield at Trenton, Princeton, Brandywine, and Germantown. Then, in late 1777, he was dispatched back to Virginia just as the army was beginning its winter encampment at Valley Forge, and he wouldn't rejoin the army until May of 1778. But while you may say, wow, how lucky for him that he avoided that brutal winter at Valley Forge, it may actually have been even more lucky for George Washington that John Fitzgerald was out and about, because Fitzgerald helped root out a political plot that was afoot to smear Washington's name and reputation so that another general could be made commander-in-chief of the Continental Army. Right. What happened in this convoluted conspiracy was this. Brigadier General Thomas Conway was a general within Washington's army, and he thought that Major General Horatio Gates should be the general in charge. He also thought that he, Conway, should be given a big promotion. So he instigated a gossip campaign among members of the Continental Congress about how poorly Washington was handling things, and he wrote a letter to Gates in which he said, among other things, Heaven has been determined to save your country, or a weak general and bad counselors would have ruined it. What a pity there is but one Gates. But the more I see of this army, the less I think it fit for general action under its actual chiefs and actual discipline. I speak to you sincerely and freely, and wish I could serve under you. Unquote. This letter was kept confidential by Gates, but Gates wasn't blessed with as trustworthy aides de camp as Washington. One of Gates's aides de camp, James Wilkinson, recited some of the really salacious bits from the letter to aides of another general, William Alexander. Alexander, for his part, sent a letter about what he knew to Henry Lorenz, who was president of the Second Continental Congress. Lorenz, knowing that Fitzgerald was in town, told him, and Fitzgerald investigated the matter and wrote to Washington. Washington was able to quash the Conway cabal once that letter was exposed, and all of those involved in it either resigned straight away or did so after being demoted. It's the old line, an ounce of loyalty is worth a pound of cleverness. Washington inspired loyalty in Fitzgerald, and that mattered more than all the cleverness of Conway and company. Yes, indeed. So Fitzgerald rejoined the army in Valley Forge in May of 1778, and then left the encampment there with the rest of the army on June 9th, 1778. And just 19 days later, at the Battle of Monmouth, Fitzgerald was wounded severely enough that he had to leave the service and return to Alexandria. Though some sources say he remained with the army through the British surrender at Yorktown in 1781. Either way, after he returned to Alexandria and when the war ended, he returned to his business interests, among other things. Right. For one thing, he successfully scared off a British raiding party in 1781. Yes. When reports came that a British raiding vessel was on its way to burn down Alexandria, he rallied as many local militiamen as he could find and organized them in such a manner to seem like they were a much more formidable lot than they actually were. The British, who in reality vastly outnumbered the defenders, were successfully decoyed and did not land. He may have left the war, but the war didn't leave him. And another thing he did, he got married. Yes. By this time, he had caught the eye of more than one eligible maiden of Alexandria society, but there was a problem. None of them was Catholic. Instead, Fitzgerald married the daughter of a prominent Catholic Maryland family, the Diggs family, 
who owned the estate directly across the Potomac River from George Washington's Mount Vernon. And that was another point of contact between Fitzgerald and Washington after the war. Washington resigned his commission and returned to his beloved Mount Vernon in 1783. So when Fitzgerald would spend time at the family estate, it was a normal thing to pop across the Potomac to visit his old commander and even spend the night at Mount Vernon on occasion. This led to further cooperation between the two. Washington made Fitzgerald one of the directors in his Potomac River Canal project, and then after he was inaugurated president in 1789, he tapped Fitzgerald to be the collector of customs at the port of Alexandria. Fitzgerald had already been elected mayor of Alexandria in 1783, so public service in a political or governmental role was nothing new to him. And perhaps the most enduring collaboration between them began on St. Patrick's Day, March 17, 1788, when George Washington attended a dinner at John Fitzgerald's Alexandria home. Yes, it was a gathering to raise support and funds for the construction of the first permanent Catholic church in Virginia. The Catholic mass was no longer outlawed in Virginia, but there wasn't a freestanding Catholic church in the state as yet. Mass in Alexandria was still held in John Fitzgerald's home, as it had been for years. According to legend, not only did Washington support the project, he even made a financial contribution to its construction. That church is the Basilica of St. Mary in Old Town, Alexandria. Now, I actually worked as office manager at St. Mary's from 2013 through 2015, and I lived across the street from the church, which is where I first heard this story. Now, while there doesn't seem to be any documentation of Washington's donation, it is a long-standing legend, and it really does seem entirely possible given the warm friendship between Washington and Fitzgerald, and Washington's general warm feeling towards Catholics, which we'll discuss more about in a future episode. So the original St. Mary's Church was built just south of the city limits in 1795, where today is located St. Mary's Cemetery. The present church was completed in 1826, just a few blocks north. That church was designated a minor basilica by Pope Francis in 2017. Fitzgerald and Washington remained good friends, exchanging letters about all manner of subjects, from government policy and foreign relations to local matters in Virginia and business ventures. They died within two weeks of each other in December of 1799. While Mount Vernon endures, all that remains of Fitzgerald's property is a warehouse he built near the Alexandria Wharf, which still stands at the corner of King and Union Streets in Old Town, Alexandria. Originally thought to be buried in the cemetery at St. Mary's Church, later research indicated that John Fitzgerald was actually buried in the Diggs family plot in Maryland, opposite Mount Vernon, where his old friend George Washington lay. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help us out by giving us a five-star rating and a good review and support the work of SQPN. Your support at sqpn.com give helps make sure American Catholic History and all the StarQuest shows remain available. To learn more about John Fitzgerald, to find previous episodes, and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com history. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on social media at facebook.com slash American Catholic History or follow StarQuest on Twitter at sqpn. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest. 